Would you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2? If you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, you can turn that to page 1,352. We're doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Colossians here on Sunday mornings, and we've made it to chapter 2. Let's pray together. Lord, every time we open your word, there are There is potential for great change, for great miracles. Lord, your word is so powerful. And I pray that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us. Be life-changing. We surrender before you. We acknowledge this is your very word. Speak, Lord. We're listening and we want to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Paul the Apostle was a very intense man. And he had some very strong words that he used in his letters. And You know, he's been misunderstood because of all that intensity. In fact, he has his critics. There are some critics who accuse Paul of being a mean-spirited Christian, an angry authoritarian, a harsh disciplinarian, a misogynist, an anti-Semite, an arrogant know-it-all. I mean, if if Paul were alive today, there'd be a cancel Paul movement, okay? And all of that is misunderstood, misunderstandings about Paul and some of the things he said. But I'll give it to you. He was very intense. And he did use strong words. And he was a fighter for truth. And he wasn't afraid to offend anybody. But under all that, please listen, was a sincere, passionate heart for the church. He loved the church. He labored so that the church would be strong, vibrant, healthy, fruitful, and protected. Notice Paul's heart for the church here in our text this morning. He's writing to the local church in Colossae in verse 1 of chapter 2. He writes, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my flesh or my face in the flesh. That their hearts may be encouraged, being net together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You see Paul's heart there? You, just, you can feel it in the tone of that language. 
He loves that church at Colossae. He cares for that church. In fact, he says, there's a great conflict in me for that church. I'm struggling for that church. I'm agonizing for that church. He had that same passion for all the churches that he wrote letters to in the New Testament. To the church of Corinth, Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. To the church at Philippi, Paul writes, I have you in my heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, This burden comes upon me daily. My deep concern for the churches. Paul was all in when it came to church. Very passionate about it. And he has a heart, obviously, for this church at Colossae. And I find this to be very interesting because we know Paul never visited the church at Colossae. He never even visited the church at Laodicea, which he mentions there. He never met any of those Christians personally. He was told about them from a good friend named Epaphras, who was their pastor. But he'd never met any of them, but still has a heart for them. He had a heart for local churches that he was affiliated with. He had a heart for the church universal. He had a heart for brothers and sisters in Christ that he knew personally. He had a heart for brothers and sisters in Christ that he had never met. The whole church... That was his heart. And one of the primary ways that Paul struggled and agonized for the church was on his knees in prayer. He spent much time praying for churches. He was a great man of prayer. In fact, as soon as he heard about that church in Colossae, he writes in verse 9 of chapter 1, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Oh, think of Paul, all the time he spent on his knees, agonizing with God over the church. Praying for the church. He had that heart. My brother and sister in Christ, you and I need to have that same heart for the church. A passion for the church to really care about. In fact, let me just ask, let me ask you the question. Do you really really care about church? Do you care about it? You know, I think a lot of Christians in America, they sort of see church as that building that you hang out in for about an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday morning. Where you know church is just this little compartment of your life. We're Americans, it's what we do on Sunday morning we go to church church should be a lot more than that to every single born again Christian you should pray for the church be in the struggle for the church be engaged in the church care about the church love the church certainly we all need to be praying for the church. If you're a member of this church, if you come to this church, I, I beg of you, pray for this church regularly. 
you can spend two hours a day praying for the pastor of the church. That would be just great. <laughs> just kidding. No, pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for the ministries of this church. If this is your home church, pray for the people in this church, the marriages in this church, the families in this church. And be engaged. Some of you might wish that you could be more involved in church, but health reasons or life circumstances keep you in a place of solitude. You know, we have folks that listen to our services from a hospital room or in a nursing home or at home because they can't get out. Or maybe we've even had people listen to our services in a jail, in a prison cell. And you might think, well, I wish I could be more involved, but I can't. Listen, you can always pray. You know, Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was a prisoner in a Roman cell. And he didn't spend his days moping or whining. He spent his days struggling for the church in prayer. And I would also recommend that we develop a heart like Paul for the whole church, not just our church, but all the churches locally, the church in Africa, the church in Europe, the church in Juarez, the church in the Middle East. Be praying for all the church regularly. One author said, whether we are missionaries or merchants, we should all have a heart that is willing to agonize not only over our own little circle, but the church universal. Have that passion. Paul did. Now, what was in Paul's heart for the churches? What did he want for them? What was his concern for churches? Well, look what it says in verse 2. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. This was a big deal for Paul. Paul was concerned that the Christians in the local churches were encouraged. And that they were encouraged in heart. You know, a lot of Christians come to church and they put on those plastic smiles. And they pretend like everything's just fine. everything's. But deep down inside, they're really hurting. Paul prayed that Christians would be encouraged inside, in the heart. This word for heart is the Greek word cardia. We get the word cardiologists from that word but in the bible it's not speaking of the internal organ in our chest that pumps blood throughout our bodies in the bible the word heart is always referring to the very seat and center of you the core of you who you are inside the seat of your desires feelings affections passions and impulses Paul was very concerned that that deepest part of you was encouraged. It's important. To encourage, it's a word that can sometimes be translated to comfort. You know, so somebody has a sorrowful heart, a heavy heart. And and that heart can be comforted. The spirit's lifted up. The word to encourage means to exhort. So maybe some have a lazy heart or a timid heart or a heart that's, you know, I I really can't do much, but you can come along and exhort 
and motivate and set the flame on fire. Encouragement. And so I just want to encourage you. Can I do that? That you would be voices of encouragement in the church. That you would be that encouraging influence in the church. Please, please, please be on constant lookout for brothers and sisters in Christ with heavy hearts. With sorrowful hearts. Life circumstances beat us up. We go through difficult times. Find those people. Reach out to those people. Invite them to lunch. Write them a note. Give them a call. Shoot them a text. Pray for them at church. The scripture teaches in the New Testament that a big part of of why churches get together and there's assemblies together is we're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So there's lots of people in the church that don't feel like they can be used, like, oh, I don't know if I have that talent or not. And, and so we need to be constantly looking for people like that. Say, you can serve the Lord. You can be used by God. Go for it. Be constantly looking to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ in all of that. You know, encouragement, it's, it's like this spark and it, it can set somebody on fire for the Lord. God does miracles through people with encouraged hearts. You know, I probably wouldn't be a pastor today if people hadn't encouraged me to be so in my early 20s. And you can be that voice of encouragement. You know, every week I meet by Zoom with uh, Calvary Chapel pastors all across the region. We meet for one hour just to encourage each other, just to comfort and motivate each other. And it's needed. It's so necessary. I pray that you have that as well. The power of encouragement. Marion Gilbert had an interesting thing happen to her one morning. She writes, one morning I opened the door to get the newspaper and was surprised to see a strange little dog with our paper in his mouth. Delighted with this unexpected delivery service, I fed him some treats. Good boy, good boy. The following morning, I was horrified to see the same dog sitting in front of our door, wagging his tail, surrounded by eight newspapers. (laughs) I spent the rest of the morning returning those papers to the owners. The power of positive affirmation Encouraging words. Please, can I, can I beg of you this morning, don't be the wet blanket at church. Don't be the person that's always coming to church, the chronic complainer. The woe is me. Everything's wrong and it's all about me and everybody needs to minister to me. No, here's, a, here's, here's an idea for you. Come to church seeking to encourage others. And you know what? As you encourage others, others will encourage you. The church is a place of mutual 
encouragement. Amen? That's so important. Look to encourage people. Verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. This is another huge concern from Paul the Apostle for the church. That they would be in unity in love. To be knit together, that's intense. To be woven together, to be joined together in love. That is the Greek word agape. That is the highest form of love. That's the way God loves us unconditionally, self-sacrificially, supernatural love. Paul said, man, stay unified in love. Paul would write this often to the churches. And basically what Paul would say is, man, stick together. Stick together. Stay together in love. And I got to tell you, that is a huge, huge deal for the church. Unity in a local church is a big, big deal. And we are to pursue unity with one another in the church. Hey, listen, a church in disunity is a terrible witness for the world. I mean, people can see a bunch of fighting, bickering people out there in the world all the time, right? Church should be different. A church in disunity is fighting the wrong battle. We're supposed to be fighting Satan, right? Not one another. A church is supposed to be cooperating, coordinating with one another to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not bickering among one another. So that is a, an important thing that we would do everything we can to pursue unity. Now, it's not easy. The church is not perfect. And it won't be this side of heaven. There are going to be Christians that you disagree with doctrinally. In some doctrinal issues, there'll be Christians that rub you the wrong way. There are immature Christians. There are selfish Christians. There are arrogant Christians. There are all types of things. And, and, and you're not a perfect Christian either. And there's been times where you've hurt people or offended people. But with all of that, we have to get beyond it. We have to learn to walk in unity. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible as much as depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. In other words, you personally, do everything you possibly can to build bridges, not break them. Let things go. Don't hold grudges. The New Testament says love covers over a whole multitude of sins. I would say also, I think that encouragement has a lot to do with this. Can you imagine if all the voices in a local church were encouraging? <laughs> Just everybody encouraging one another? It's been said encouragement is like a peanut butter sandwich. The more you spread it around, the better things stick together. Encouragement, unity, 
love. Pursue that. That's a big deal. Okay, I want you to notice another concern. Look at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, that is a really big, complicated sentence, isn't it? I mean, that one's really kind of hard to follow in the New King James Version especially. But just know, underneath in the Greek language, all of the movement of the language is toward knowing Christ personally, having a full assurance of who Christ is. In Christ, Paul says, are the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. Be focused with Christ. I think you see that in some of the other translations. Here's how NIV translates it. He says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Living Bible. This is what I have asked God for you, that you will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, and that you will have the rich experience of knowing Christ with real certainty and clear understanding. For God's secret plan, now at last made known, is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the mighty, untapped treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul was very concerned that Christians and churches everywhere would maintain a growing personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be focused upon the person of Jesus Christ. One Christian author writes here, an experiential relationship with Jesus Christ, not assent to dogma or doctrinal propositions, is the foundation for the Christian life. Let me say that again. An experiential relationship personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the foundation for the Christian life. As Christians, we are to be Jesus people. Amen? It is a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people tend to complicate church, complicate Christianity. We talk about all these different doctrines and all of these different things that we can find Listen, it's important to be thinkers and to understand things and to study. But all of that to serve our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To know him better. To be pursuing him. We are to know Jesus. We want to know his compassion, his love, his power, his teaching, his work, his character, his attributes his ministry while on earth, his present ministry in heaven, his future work, his deity, 
all of that. We want to tap into all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. Walk with him. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto whom? Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you realize the Christian life from beginning to the end is a race, you're running the track, And who are you looking at the whole way? The Lord Jesus Christ. We're Jesus people. Paul says Christians need to be absolutely focused, constantly growing in their personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be true with you. You know, one of my heroes of the Christian faith is C.S. Lewis. Have you all heard of C.S. Lewis? You know, he was an intellectual giant. He had an, an understanding of complex Christian doctrine second to none. Ain't nobody smarter than C.S. Lewis. He wrote that book, Mere Christianity, which explains how he came to Christ as an atheist trying to prove Christianity wrong. Very high-sounding arguments, awesome things. But you know, for C.S. Lewis, Jesus was always the main thing. That walk with Christ. In fact, less than one month before C.S. Lewis died, he wrote this letter to a little girl named Ruth. You know, C.S. Lewis had written some awesome Christian books for children. And little Ruth loved those books and wrote C.S. Lewis a letter to thank him. Here's his letter back to Ruth. Dear Ruth, many thanks for your kind letter. And it was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books. And what a very good letter you write for your age. And he says, if you continue to love Jesus... Nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope you may always do so. C.S. Lewis. To a little girl who has her whole life ahead of her, the great C.S. Lewis said, May you love Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. My brother and sister in Christ, keep those eyes on Christ. He's the crown jewel of Christianity. May you pursue him and love him and grow in your knowledge of him. Keep that a priority. Okay, look at one more concern this morning in our passage. Look at verse 4. Paul writes, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Another big concern for Paul, you see it in all of his letters. He prayed and agonized that local churches would stay safe 
and protected from deceptive teaching. Big deal. He says, I pray that I will continue to rejoice in your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. Those words, order and steadfastness, are military terms. They describe an army that is solidly united against the enemy. Order means the arrangement of the army and ranks with each soldier in its proper place. Steadfastness, the soldiers in battle formation presenting a solid front to the enemy. So his heart for every local church is that everyone together, corporately, stay strong and resilient. In the truth of the basic, foundational, essential doctrines of Christianity. Don't be deceived. Keep that steadfast faith in Jesus Christ. Now, gang, I believe, you know, Christians, we don't agree on everything in the Bible. I get that. But for all of the major, essential Christian doctrines, we can understand it. And we can get it, and we can defend it. Paul prayed that they would be so careful, so on guard against that. You know, in the early part of church history, uh, you could argue Paul wrote most of his letters to combat some form of heresy. Oh, the enemy wants to take a church that's doing well, Send false teachers in to bring wedges in front of people, to to separate people, to confuse people. Paul had to correct lots of doctrine. And by the way, that's why he sounded harsh at times. He was protecting the people. So there were false teachers that would come into local churches. They were called Judaizers. And these were guys that would say, it's okay if, if you give your life to Jesus and all that and put your faith in. But you also need to become Jewish and become a part of the law. They were even running around telling Gentile men that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. I would have really been against that one if I were a guy, wouldn't you? And Paul runs around and he's saying, you know, church after church, here they come. No! You get... Saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the the false teachers that were invading the church of Colossae were these guys called Gnostics. These are the mystics. These are the guys that come in and say, hey, we got all this secret knowledge. It's not enough to know Jesus. You need to know all our our knowledge. And for five easy payments of (laughs) $59.99, you can subscribe to our garbage. So Paul, constantly, constantly telling the church, don't don't let your shield down. Be aware. And you know what? We still have to be ready today. There are false teachers. Verse 4, now I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Persuasive words. Slick, smooth operators. That's what the word implies the way that you would teach a salesman or a salesperson to sell a product. You know how they have just the right words to say? Oh, I need that. 
or the language used by lawyers. Have you ever watched a case on TV or, or, you know, fiction or not, and you hear one lawyer on one side and they give their thing and you go, wow, that's good. And then the other guy gets up, that's good too. You have these persuasive, very clever, very smooth talking. There's false teachers like that today. And so we have to let, never let our guard down. And by far the best defense we have is as Christians to be students of this word and as a church to be committed to the teaching of God's word. Amen? Keep your eyes on the truth so you can definitely identify the falsehoods. You know, something was told to me years ago and I've never forgot it. And it's proven to be true for me over the years. Somebody said, Terry, if it's new, then it's probably not true. And if it's true, then it's probably not new. That is, I have found that to be true in Christian doctrine. Be, beware of the person, hey, I found something new. And you can, you know, come over and join this new thing. And then eventually it, it's proven to be just an enclave of, of heresy. Let's spend our time tapping in to the glorious treasures of God's word and the glorious treasures of all wisdom and knowledge hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. So have that heart for the church. Let's work to see hearts encouraged. Let's work towards unity in love. Let's stay focused and keep growing in our knowledge of Jesus. Let's stay fortified together against the deceptive voices from the enemy. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And would you join with me in a prayer for the church? Would you, right along with me, pray for our church right now, this church. Lord, I pray for this body. I pray that there would be encouragement in this place. Lord, I pray that you would keep us on track. Don't let us get deceived. Lord, I pray for leaders, I pray for ministries, I pray for the families, the, the marriages, all the, all the different, all my brothers and sisters in Christ here. Build them up in the faith, strengthen them, encourage them. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Pray that we'd see great unity in this place. And then, Father, we pray for the church, the universal church. We pray for the church worldwide. We pray for your people worldwide, your people in Africa, your people in India, your people in Juarez. Lord, you have placed us on this 
planet at these, this day and time in these, these incredible days. And I pray that your people would be strong. We'd stand up for truth in every corner of this planet. With heads bowed, eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're a part of the church. You know, you become a member of the church by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin personally and then rose again the third day. That's how you join the church. You give your life to the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to sign a membership card, put your name on a list, That's, a lot of people can do that without being actual members of the church. A true member of the church is one who has a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have that right now. The Lord died for you on the cross and rose again the third day. And he's here to save you. But you must ask him to save you. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Just a real simple prayer in the quietness of your heart. Just cry out to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me. I place my faith and trust in you right now for salvation. I admit my sinfulness. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, rising again. Come into my heart, come into my life. Help me to run that race that you have for me, looking to you always. Amen.